0: This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by the School of Real Madrid. That's right, we dropped a new video today. It's about Rudiger and how he fits at Real Madrid. And it's worth checking out just for the masterpiece that Miguel Castillo, our producer, put out. He's joined the team three episodes ago now, and he's put together back-to-back-to-back masterpieces. He is a genius, incredible video animator. We are super proud to show him off. Uh, and have them part of the team. So go over to the School of Real Madrid YouTube channel. Check out today's video on Rudiger, and it's also pinned on the ManagingMidget.com homepage. This episode is also brought to you by the Guild. Head on over to theguild.co. That's G-U-I-L-D.co theguild.co, for luxury stays in apartment-like atmospheres, but with hotel amenities and guest service. They hooked us up in Dallas. It was super comfortable, super incredible, great locations. They have they have locations all over the states, and uh, we really enjoyed staying with them. Top-notch service. The rooms were clean, big, spacious, and if you're looking for something more homey rather than a hotel, I would highly suggest you going over to theguild.co to, um, to book your stay if you're traveling within the United States. Coming up next on the world tour, we have Las Vegas and San Francisco. Uh, we are obviously following the team in those two cities for preseason. So if you're heading to the Classico in Vegas or for the game against Club America in San Fran, make sure to come out to the podcast as well. They're they're basically planned in a way where you'll be in the city for both the game and the podcast, guaranteed. So if you're going to the game, make sure to come out to the podcast as well. We'd love to meet you. And we'd also love for you to meet other Madridistas and form some long-lasting friendships. So make sure to come out. Link to book your spot is in the show notes, and without further ado, let's get started on this Pepe Rudiger, mostly Pepe podcast, and uh, we're going to get started with our friends Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Let's go.
1: Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog, They're wonderful lads that do a great job there, and worth reading about that man there, ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1, Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Peri Valverde was a huge part of the equation.
0: Hello and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are recording a special episode because one of our writers wrote an excellent article that was very popular, made the rounds on social media, got a lot of clicks on the website, and every time someone likes to, or sorry, someone writes an article that does really well uh, and puts a lot of effort into their writing, I like to have them on the podcast to discuss it further, and I'd like to do that more often. So using this podcast as momentum moving forward to do that more, we're gonna start with an article that Jose Perez wrote about Rudiger and the legacy of Pepe and more, specifically i think it was more about pepe but i assume Jose, the reason you wrote about pepe was because rudiger had a quote about pepe and that reminded you of him so i guess i'll ask you this first what did spur you to write this article
1: yes uh so well so thanks for having me as usual kian uh hello everyone uh so yeah, that was that was interesting because yeah, it's so it's mostly just related to the the signing. uh I think I already kind of knew that there were some Pepe influences, but I hadn't seen like the actual quote from like the direct quote that basically has Pepe as his defensive idol. So that's really uh what spurred it. uh and then uh at some point like uh, in previous, like, per more personal, like, personal block writing that I did before, I had already kind of the beginning of, like, an article like that, that talked a bit about Pepe, and I'm like, okay, this is a good opportunity to revisit the subject and to talk a bit about it, because, yeah, like, I had, for a long time, like, that's, it was just putting on, uh, on, the, uh, on the side, just kind of the thoughts that I had regarding Pepe and what I thought was his impact, because, Yes, one is, so one reason to write this is just, yeah, taking advantage of the whole Rüdiger signing. And the other one is just, um, I've had, like, I've always had a feeling that apart from, like, the analyst crowd and Real Madrid fans, Pepe tends to be, like, a rather underappreciated defender. Like, he just has the reputation of a butcher uh, and that's it. And that's what people remember him for. And they don't remember him for being like what he really is, which is one of the defenders of the decade.
0: I completely agree. Um, and it's interesting, you actually made it a point to note in your article that we remember Pepe uh, for these aggressive traits and sometimes psychotic behavior. But the reality is there was one or 2 standout moments in his career where he had those lapses. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as bad as he remembered it, and you brought up the fact that Ramos had 26 red cards in his career and Pepe only had three. And I thought that was an interesting statistic. Um, Your article brought back a lot of memories for me, Um, just of the whole Pepe experience. And I think Pepe, in some ways, one of our most important signings of the past 20 years or so. And maybe I'm a little bit biased in saying that partly because Pepe is one of my personal favorite players the past 20 years or so in a Real Madrid shirt, he's one of those guys that I just really gravitate towards, I would love to root for, I would love to be on a team with, I would love to have my back in a nightclub if if it ever came down to something. (laughs) So he's a guy I really like. So uh, for that reason, I might be biased towards making that statement. But the reason I say that, Jose, is that before we signed him we had years of really bad defensive structure and also not really world-class defenders who could help us with that regard. I mean, we had signed Fabio Cannavaro who had just come off an unbelievable World Cup, one of the greatest performances a defender has ever put in a World Cup, but you take him out of that Italian structure and being, you know, I could be getting the timelines a little bit roughly wrong but you know we had a, we 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 could see Italy play with Cannavaro, Nesta and Maldini and Zambrotta on the same backline it's like a cheat code like those are four unbelievable players to have in a backline and then all of a sudden you put them in Real Madrid and this is a quote that stuck out to me you brought back a quote from Pepe where he talks about his debut against Atletico Madrid and he says Quote, in the 30th minute, our play broke down and they came at us one versus one and we ran backwards. I looked back at Fabio Cannavaro and told him, Fabio, Fabio, cover, cover. And he said, no, we don't do that here to each their own side. And I was like, it's like that, fuck. I was looking around and I saw the fullbacks high up, the defensive midfielder high up. And I was thinking, what, 50 meters behind me and I'm here to play one versus one? Then I thought to calm down that it would do well anyways, end quote. So, Jose, my question to you is, I don't even know if it's a question, why don't you just talk about the fact that the glaring lack of structure that exists at Real Madrid and the more chaotic nature and what, and and does it just, do you need to be something, a different kind of breed of defender to be a defender at Real Madrid as opposed to other places?
1: Yes, so I think so now. Kind of the bit of defender that Pepe is 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 a bit more what's expected of a top club, because nowadays top clubs are expected to like uh, have more control, to have a high defensive line. So it's more the expectation. But back then, and it's also kind of what I mentioned in the article, it was not the norm. And we and the Canavaro example is is a great one. Like and and you think of the defenders that Real Madrid had, like the five, seven years before that, like the older Hierro, Elguera, Christoph Metzelder, Heinze, uh, Cannavaro, like these are guys who are not, like none of them was made to like live 50 meters away from their goal. Uh, And and that's the thing, it's what you mentioned, you take Cannavaro away from that Italian defensive structure and then you put him in this situation where it's it's just him and Pepe defending with 50 meters behind them like complete completely exposed without much without much structure without the other players defending much either so um yeah so it's like it was chaotic there was there was not there was not that much structure and it's kind of like Cannavaro said like to each to each their own and and yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's the environment where Real Madrid center backs lived in. And I remember that back then. Of course, back then I didn't analyze football much, but we just said like, defenders came in, and you're like, Walter Samuel is bad. Like Walter Samuel is bad. Well, that's another Walter Samuel is another excellent example of a guy who lived in Italian defensive structures goes to like a far more open setup in Real Madrid, doesn't do great. And and again, that's the thing, like we can go through all the center backs in those times and it's the exact same issue. Like none of them were made to defend in that chaos, in that much space until Pepe came. He's the only one, he's the first one, at least in the century, to fit that bill of what was necessary uh, for a Real Madrid defender, which is why. Like it's such a special, like it's such a special signing because that's, that's really when Real Madrid does the shift from like the slower defenders that it was signing to the faster, uh, to the faster defenders. Because you start to see that it's working out. Then football starts changing. high lines start becoming more of a standard. You start getting more defenders like that. And so like, it, it was a bit like pioneering. Of course, uh, Pepe was not like the first fast defender in the game. There were others, uh, I can think, for example, Ivan Cordova from Inter, like this like small Colombian center back who was more like known for his speed. Or, or actually, Puyol in Barcelona, uh, Puyol wasn't the greatest at winning aerial duels. He wasn't, uh, well, at winning duels in general, he wasn't uh, super tall, uh, so, uh, but he had a lot of good recovery speed. So what happened with Puyol is that even he, if he made a mistake, he had the speed to track back, try to correct his mistake so that already that those are already some examples of defenders that were using the speed but it wasn't it wasn't kind of like it was more like an isolated feature but it was not like something a defensive system depended on it's starting like 2007 2008 with with Guardiola well because the other thing that i think it's important to mention it's also not the first time back then that they were using high lines it's just that for example, when Arrigo Arigosachi and Milan were using the high line in the eighties and nineties, they were using, for example, the offside trap. Uh, and I think even then, I don't remember if it was a bit later that the offside rules changed a bit, and that also like had an impact on the on the offside trap and made it more difficult. But uh, yeah, so like th- it was still a time like the early two thousands was still a time in which teams, because of those changes in the uh, in the rules they kind of shift like you didn't have like those high lines they were experimenting with and they were just defending a bit deeper because you just didn't have the defenders to do it back then. So, yeah. So it's around that time that things start changing. Pepe comes to Real Madrid, Guardiola comes in the next year and starts doing higher defensive lines in Barcelona. So, so yeah, so it was a bit pioneering. And especially in the context of Real Madrid, the, the signing of pepe was like extremely important for how the team would defend and recruit defenders for the coming 15 years
0: i think it was last year where we did a historical podcast re-watching the late 80s clash between quinta del buitre versus um sachi's milan and the offside trap really is a spectacle. Like it's like it's like yes. watching something from a different planet. It's really crazy because as you said, the rules changed so you can't see anything like it now, but it was like just watching an army run towards like battle. Like it was like an entire line of it people rushing. It, it's really trippy to watch. Um, so, but 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 it also is an organized chaos of a cohesive movement. Whereas now, like at least that in Real Madrid and kind of is now arguably it's it's a it's not an organized chaos. It's a, it's a bit of a disorganized chaos, which is the difference, and I think it's not as cohesive or, or planned or strategic. I also think like with Puyol, it's interesting because he He wasn't that tall, but he had so much fight in him that he kinda carried himself like he was seven feet. In the sense that like Yes. If you were like I, I always remembered I was terrified defending set pieces when he was on the on in the box. He could get himself on the end of headers. He had no business in getting. It's like Dennis Rodman grabbing rebounds. Like he doesn't have the height or the aerial ability, yeah. but he throws himself and carries himself as if he does. Um, all right, back to Pepe. So with yeah, Pepe, seven, in- just
1: the just the yeah one yeah it is. So one seventy eight Puyol. So. Yeah, not part. So not particularly tall. I still remember, like, he, I think his biggest header. It was the semifinals of the of the World Cup 2010 with Spain that he scored a header against
0: Germany. Germany. That's, yeah. And
1: again, like the 178 guy to get against the Germans. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, so it's interesting too when we're talking about chaos. Ironically, in some way, it actually gets rectified a little bit when Capello comes because it went from like having no balance to almost being so defensively mm-hmm. airtight with like there was a point where you had pepe like, and you had ramos right back pepe and Canavaro in the middle heinz on left back and then you had you know the mishmash and mohammedo diara emerson so you had a bit of more of a defensive shield when capello came and a little bit more better structure defensively anyway but i really like the fact that in your article you brought up the 2007 Classico at the Camp Nou. And
1: yeah.
0: I often bring that up when, sometimes people will ask me like, what are some of the most underrated stand-up performers of the last few years that we don't talk about? And I think that is one of the best defensive performances I've seen from someone in our back line. I don't know if ever, but it's gotta be like top five. I Like Pepe in that game was really flawless and I'm glad you highlighted that. So. I wonder if you can speak about his performance in that game a little bit, and I also would encourage listeners to go back and watch that game if they can.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a fun one. So it's a, at that two, that's one that one is like December two thousand seven, something around those lines. So at that point, Capello was gone. You had Schuster uh, coaching, and yeah, you had that defensive line that was like around like he- in left back, uh, Pepe Canavaro or Metzelder, depending, uh, and. Yeah, like to give a bit of background, the interesting thing about all that is that Pepe goes in and goes comes into Real Madrid and, well, he sees the mess that, like, we described that, how how do you defend here? Like, this is a mess. How do I defend here? How do I survive here? And the first performances were rough. Like, uh, what I remember clearly is that, like, his first, uh, there was the game against Atletico, but then there was another one, uh, I don't know if it was, I guess it was out, uh, after, that was the Super Cup against the Sevilla, yeah, like that really good Sevilla uh, with Canute, uh, what Canute and Luis Fabiano. That was that was some duo, um, and uh, yeah, they were going against that really good Sevilla in the Super Cup. Got spanked uh, by Sevilla in the Super Cup, and I, I I think that was Pepe's first official game, and he looked awful and like. Looked out of play. Looked out of place. Watching the ball go over him, like out of position, etc. Like he was confused. You look back on it, and he was simply confused. Um, I think then, and a lot of those first parts of the season uh, were a bit were a bit like that. Uh, I think the one. I think his first red card was in that time. If I, no, no, no. The first red card was the was the big kick against Casquero and Hetaf. No, no, no. But that he didn't get a red card there. But in general, like he just looked out of place in all of those things, and people were questioning. And it. it's like, what a stupid decision! Like buying this uh, Portuguese centre back that no one knows for that amount, and look at him; he's doing poorly. And then you go into the Classico and you see what happens. So that one, so that one was a Clasico uh, in the Camp No. Uh, that one. I don't know if you remember, that one was one with the, with a really nice goal from Julio Baptista. Um, really nice volley from Julio Baptista. And yeah, the main thing, of course, at that stage, uh, it was not the best season for Eto and Ronaldinho. They were not at their peak, at least then. But, I mean, still, it's Ronaldinho and Neto, like, some of the best attackers in the world. Didn't sniff it. Like that's And that was kind of the whole thing that was impressive. You have Ronaldinho and Eto. And they couldn't touch the ball. Especially at all, like, didn't see it. Pepe was winning the duels of the, all the time. Pepe was getting to the ball before him. Barely got a hold of the ball. Then Ronald, if Ronaldinho got the ball, then, like, one of the things that that was interesting back then is that Ronaldinho gets the ball, like, gets it on the left, going into the box, uh, well, is going trying to go close to the box, and then Pepe goes outside the box to try to cover him. And again, those little things look... Now kind of normal in uh, normal now, but it wasn't it wasn't like that before. Like back then the center back was more likely to just stay in the box and not go outside. Back then the center back was more likely to stay in the defensive line and not try to go out of it to anticipate. So that's and that's why I said that it was them facing uh the future of defending, because it's just it was something that was not usual uh for the aged and yeah he was the big factor in nullifying uh barsas forwards
0: yeah it's interesting and for all the reasons you mentioned jose i think i mean it's not like he it's not like he played 50 years ago but so obviously this is kind of an obvious statement but he fits into modern football really well for all these reasons that you mentioned like you know his his game holds up i think for the next 20 30 years probably he's he was so athletic he can put out fires also like someone it came across my timeline I don't know who posted it but someone had posted highlights of that classical Copa del Rey final where Cristiano Ronaldo scores the header an extra time yeah. and uh, it brought me back to Pepe's performance in that game which was so epic and also there's that scene of him rising up for a header that hits the crossbar in the first half and he's, he's just so dominant and it was uh, it kind of ties into what you're what we're talking about here Um, I'm going to ask you two questions to end this podcast and I I think this could be a two hour podcast potentially but this is going to be a bit of a quicker one I also have to pick up my son from daycare so question number actually no sorry there's only one question I really wanted to ask you Um, where does Pepe rank among Real Madrid defenders of the past 20 years
1: of the past 20 years yeah like that's the thing, like, if we consider past 20, well, even past 20 years, that that already, I mean, yeah. I did it that Sanchez. way
0: to make sure we eliminate Hiero Sanchez and stuff so we don't even have to get into yeah. that discussion. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we put it that way,
0: the first,
1: like, five years or so, like, the early 2000s are a mess for defenders. Again, just yeah, players who were just not in a system that fit them. I mean, to me, it's kind of a clear Ramos first, Pepe then. Uh, Yeah, and the comparison there is super interesting because to me, uh, of course, if we look, like, for me, uh, Pepe was the better pure defender compared to Ramos. Uh, Pepe was more consistent. Like, Ramos, you know, we know how Ramos was at the beginning of the year, like, that september october part where he was kind of switched off making more mistakes than usual pepe didn't switch off like that and that's the thing like he was the more consistent week in week out and there were several times where it was pepe putting out the fires it was pepe putting out like trying to correct them mistakes that ramos did and everything uh again the tackling technique uh was cleaner than ramos which is why he racked up fewer which is why he racked up fewer cards like As a pure defender, I do think Pepe was better. Then, of course, if we go as a global, you know, footballer, considering both defensive and offensive impact, of course, Ramos is on another level because of that offensive impact. But, yeah, to me, that's the one one and two. Uh, And Ramos, mostly because as a footballer, he's just better and more impactful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that agreed. That's the way I have it too. I have Ramos one, Pepe two, and I think the importance of Pepe coming in 2007 can't be understated. The timing of how desperately he was needed at the club, and also how much how much he kind of bridged the gap until Varane came along a few years later, and you know he was just incredibly necessary and vital, and also just really really good. I kind of wish he could have stayed a little bit longer. I thought we could have held yeah. long to him for one or two more years. It would have been needed. Yeah. But at the same time, at least we, we did win multiple titles without him in Europe. But um, he, he, he was great. A, a fan favorite uh, yeah. and one of my personal favorites. Absolutely. And
1: uh, yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like You look at it and at least from a defensive perspective, that's the legacy. That's the kind of defender that we've been looking for. And that's and that's why I mentioned it. You look at it like Varane, Nacho, Alava, Rüdiger. You see the common thread there? Because there, they're all kind of different. The common thread is still the speed to live in a high line. You need a defender who at least has the speed to be comfortable in those situations. Because, again, Nacho is faster than he looks. Um, yeah. So... Uh, that's that's really the common characteristics uh of course like nacho and alaba are maybe not as strong not as dominant defending the box but then you have militao and rudiga and those those are pepe's successors like that those carry the legacy of pepe for sure and 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 like i mentioned in the article too uh like they follow very similar career trajectories because like Pepe, those first five years, four years or so at Real Madrid, he was still a bit more error prone. Uh, not that comfortable defending the box. Made a few more mistakes sometimes, which is like lacked the compo, like that elite composure uh, that he had later on in his career. Same thing with Militao. Same thing with Rudiger earlier in Rudiger's career. Uh, Start out like more chaotic defenders they make positional mistakes, they go out, go forward and defend, perhaps when they shouldn't, it's almost like too much energy to contain them. And then Pepe learned to control that fury and chaos over time. Rüdiger has learned to control that chaos and fury over time, especially with Tuchel. And a similar process will happen uh, with Militao. So... And that's and that's the fun thing. Like you see, uh, you see that now there's a good chance that Real Madrid is going to play for long spells with like Militao and and Rudiger as the center back duo and that's that's a Pepe inspired uh, pairing. So that's that's the legacy. That's and that's the fun thing and that's what I So like I think we underrate a bit the impact that Pepe had. Uh, at the very least, in Real Madrid, and the things that Real Madrid looks
0: for their, from their defenders. Jose, thank you for writing the article. Uh, everyone listening to this, you can you can see it on Manager Madrid. It's called Rüdiger and the Legacy of Pepe. And I I hope we will see many great Rüdiger moments to come. And we both love Pepe. I think everybody loves a little bit of Pepe. So go and read that article if you haven't already. Jose, thanks for your time, my friend. And we'll chat soon. Thanks. For-
1: having me and see and see everyone around